Today on the B2B Power Hour, I'll be talking to Stacy Danheiser of Shake Marketing. I originally saw your post on Chris Walker's discussion about customer research and talking about from a professional's point of view why it matters. And I see it so, it's an epidemic in sales that they send out these junior people that have no clue who they're talking to and they just give them, you know, names on a list and they say, go call. And it just kills their credibility and it scorches the earth behind them. And so today I really want to dive in and pick your brain on why it's so important to know your customer and how at the end of the day, it makes everything come together. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining me. So first question, big one. Why is marketing an order taker for sales in most organizations? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I will share a little story. So I actually started my career in business to consumer marketing. And in consumer uh, marketing, there is no question about the the importance or the respect for marketers. Mm-hmm. We had a big budget. We always did customer research. I mean, you wouldn't even think about spending multi-millions of dollars before just putting something out there that your customers hadn't seen it and giving you feedback on. When I went over to B2B, I was surprised that marketing's primary source of customer information was the sales team. They don't have direct access oftentimes to the customers. And so because of that, they, um, the less assertive marketers, let's say, uh, end up becoming order takers. They believe everything the salesperson says. They don't go validate or check any information. And then therefore, mm. they're not in a challenger position themselves. So they're sort of just taking, you know, what the salesperson says and going and executing on it. And <laughs> and that's, you know, my personal sort of pet peeve along with yours is that <laughs> most marketers have lost touch with the the whole entire reason their function exists, which is to be the voice of the customer, to be the central source of customer intelligence. And and many of them um, have forgotten that, frankly, and that's why they end up sort of in this order-taking role. It's interesting that you bring up B2C because I was actually just talking to another gentleman about influencer marketing and how it's becoming so huge in B2B. You know, it's this breathtaking new thing and it just keeps bringing me back to like, B2B is like five to 10 years, if not more behind Absolutely. B2C. And yeah. hopefully they learn from their mistakes and they don't go and pick, you know, like Kim Kardashian or these huge influencers to go and push something that they don't believe in. They find those power users, but you know, they'll, yeah. they'll spend so much money on product too, like product knowledge, but nothing on customers. So that's interesting that you started on the other side. Yes. So I, I have both perspectives. So it, it is interesting to uh, compare the two. So then you'd have a really interesting perspective on segmentation and targeting. I, I walk into so many of these companies and you look at like, so who are you targeting? And the, <laughs> it just makes my skin crawl every time. They're like, Nick, you would not believe this. We target everyone. Everyone needs this product. Just go target everyone. <laughs> and I just can't help but think, but do you not realize the impact of that statement? Yes. I mean, it is, it's, it's such a prevalent problem. I mean, I always like to say, look, you, you're not, you can't be everything to everyone. So the, what I have found is a lot of organizations are scared to declare a target audience. They mm. think if they declare an audience, that means they're going to be saying no to all the other potential businesses out there. And, you know, what I actually say is like, 
no, you're not saying no to business. If, if somebody comes knocking on your door that doesn't fit your ideal customer profile, it's up mm -hmm. to you to decide if you want to work with them. It just means, frankly, that you're going to focus your marketing and your sales efforts on the people that are most likely to buy from you and on the ones that are going to be the best fit for your organization. Um, and so we go through targeting a targeting exercise as well. Um, and, and, you know, there's different ways that you can do segmentation and targeting. I like mm -hmm. to look a little bit beyond just sort of the, the surface level of, you know, what industry are they in and how many employees do they have and how much revenue do they do? But really, if you start collecting data and figure out which customers are the most profitable, which ones mm -hmm. were the easiest to sell to, which ones are the easiest to service, mm -hmm. which ones, frankly, do we just like working with because we're good at it and they're fun? You know, there's a, a, there's a, there's a different side of it where, um, you know, you could find yourself, and I did, I worked in a company where we found ourselves servicing customers that looked really good on paper, but they were mentally in, and energetically draining. They required a lot of handholding and a lot of service and and we were not set up to to be a good partner for them. And so, you know, but on paper, I mean, it's revenue, it's money. So it's good. It's customer. Let's just get more of them. But we're bleeding out cash on the other side because we were we were doing a poor job on the, the operation side for what they needed. So it's it's important to kind of look holistically at that at that whole picture. And nice. I think that's where marketing and sales can work together because salespeople can say, yeah, there's, there was something interesting about this group of customers. What we found is that the people, you know, who, who we like working with or who, who buy quicker share mm -hmm. us a similar philosophy or they go to business or go to market in a certain way. Right. And that's not, that's not typically data that you're going to go find, um, you know, in a bunch of public, you know, databases or reports or all these list generation services that people are selling. Mm -hmm. This is frankly just based on conversations, right? And knowledge and, and connecting with people and building relationships with people so you can can really understand uh, how they're thinking. I'm glad that you brought up money too because I don't know how many customers I sit down with and you look at their books and you're like, you guys are spending a lot of money. Your cost of acquisition is unattainable. So now, you know, you're, you're telling me you're seeking another funding round. Well, you're basically just filling in the pothole that you created by the acquisitions you just did in the past quarter. Mm -hmm. And another interesting part is the fact that, you know, doing a win loss analysis, I recommend this all the time and people no, we can't open our books and show our team and they can't, they're not allowed to know the numbers. Hmm. It just, it seems so detrimental to the future, you know, scratch the whole mindset of that but if you don't know who your best customers are and you don't know who your worst you know the people why you lost them and how they talk about you differently how would you ever or recognize something that's a good fit mm -hmm. yeah and i mean win loss analysis that was interesting we did some research a couple of years ago about the best uh, aligned teams marketing and sales teams and we found mm. that the ones that outperform they, one of the, the, the key things that they do is win-loss analysis. And, and, it, and it's, I have worked in organizations where uh, it's kind of scary, right? If you're a salesperson and you lost the deal, um, the salespeople will default to say, well, the reason we lost it is price. And, you know, it's up to the rest of the organization to kind of dig a little bit, a little bit deeper. But the, the, re the ones that have really good relationships will say, I don't know. I think it was price. They told me it was price, but let's dig in there. Somebody else go interview the customer and find out the real reason. 
And, you know, frankly, it, it might have been that there there was um, the salesperson forgot to present something, right? Or didn't present mm-hmm. value in the way that was that resonated with the customer. No salesperson uh, really wants to be on the receiving end of that, right? So I think sometimes it, we they get a little guarded and, and then it becomes um, hard to sort of crack open this, this win-loss report. But it is, it's a mindset thing. And it's how do we constantly improve? How do we get our fingers on the pulse of what's happening in our customers. And, and that's one tool that is really a great way to, um, to figure that out. Yeah, and it, it doesn't take forever. That I always hear that objection, well, it takes too long and it costs too much. Uh, and, to, and no, I, I've never done this professionally. I've always done it as part of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But you know, you might take two weeks or a month to go and do some initial work but you get enough information to be dangerous. You can go test it in the market and run with it. Like you should be constantly updating it. It's not a one and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Customer research in general is you're yeah. referring to. Yeah. 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 I think um, it's interesting customer research. So, you know, I spent 14 years in corporate marketing and I worked for five different fortune 500 companies. Hmm. And like I said, I started in consumer where we always had a budget for research. And then I hmm. went over to B2B and we had no budget for research. And so I learned pretty quickly that I had to build a relationship with my sales team so that I would get invited to customer facing events and meetings and interactions, because that was really the only way that I was going to be able to get a a firsthand account of what was happening with customers. Hmm. Um, I've also found, so that, so that's kind of one tip that I would recommend. I mean, a lot, there's a lot of advice out there that I see for marketers hey, you should go meet with your sales team and you should go go to um, customer meetings. And, you know, I'll just share my experience that it's not really that easy. You know, salespeople aren't, if they have a good relationship with a the customer, they're certainly not going to let every single marketer in the organization just tag along to a meeting unless it's value added, right? Mm-hmm. And so how does a salesperson figure out if the marketer is going to be value added? So, the marketers that could come and demonstrate we understand sales, we understand our products, you know, and I'm coming, I have a purpose for coming to this meeting with you. I'm not going to sit here and ask the customer, you know, questions that might open a can of worms or things that you guys might have addressed that are going to potentially kill a deal, right? I mean, that's the biggest fear is, oh my gosh, they're going to ask something, it's going to, the deal's going to go off the rails. Um, so there's a, there's an aspect of relationship building and trust between, you know, the marketer and the, the sales organization to be able to get invited to the, um, to those, those customer meetings. Um, and that's a great way to learn. The other piece is budgeting. I mean, marketers hold the budget, right? Mm-hmm. So they should be, every single marketer should have customer qualitative customer research in their budgets to do at least once a year, mm-hmm. period. Um, if surveys are not a substitute, surveys are great and those can be informative, but those are quantitative. You could never ask, you know, why, 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 why in a, in a survey, right? People are just, you have survey fatigue as it is. So it's like short and sweet. It's just a barometer. Like what's your overall experience with us? You know, give us a score one to 10 so that you can have a barometer to see how things are going on, but you're never going to get sort of into the um, the psyche, right? And, and why deci- certain decisions are being made in, in a survey. So, you know, mm. marketers absolutely should have have research budgeted um, to, to conduct that once a year. I've 
I've got so much out of LinkedIn polls in the last little while, and I started making them super controversial. But on the psychographics, people that think like this are the people I want to talk to. And so I even force them to pick a side. I never mm-hmm. thought when I first started doing it that it was a great way to go and dig deeper. Right. Do you think this would be something good for marketers to go play with? To go and play with Polling. polls? Yeah, and just... Look at their ICP, look at their personas, people that have like an, even not that don't have to be a perfect fit, but maybe open that door to a deeper conversation to go a couple levels deeper so they're better prepared. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think for sure experimentation is what is, it should be on the top of, of a skill set for every marketer mm-hmm. and that, you know, they're, they're learning and trying different tools and different ways to do things. Um, instead of waiting, you know, for permission all the time. But, and I think, you know, all the social media tools, frankly, are just a really great way to, to test things, right. And get immediate feedback Mm -hmm. before you start, um, something bigger. But I would say the one, the one thing that's interesting about what you just said and what, where my head went was often, I see a lot of marketers, um, working at tech companies, let's say where Mm -hmm. the target audience is, who they're trying to sell to is let's say a CEO or a CTO or a CIO. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the people they're connected with on their network are not CEOs, CTOs, and CIOs. Oh, yeah. They're other marketers, right? Or there's other yeah. salespeople or people from their organization. So gotta be careful a little bit because I, I see um, you know, that everyone's a marketer is my favorite phrase. <laughs> Meaning everybody has an opinion. So you'll, you'll certainly get opinions when you start putting things like that out there. But the question that you have to constantly remind yourself of as a marketer is, am I getting the opinions from the right people and the people that matter, which are ultimately my target customers? And if I'm not connected mm-hmm. to my target customers, then you know I can do some experimentation to learn from it. But I, I would sort of be very cautious about you know, taking that, uh, that data and, and utilizing it in my company unless it was really from the people that I wanted, wanted to uh, reach. Yeah, that's a great point, Stacey. Anybody that's listening, look at your LinkedIn profile right now. And this has been an epidemic since the start of social media. People say that social media doesn't sell. It doesn't work. We won't get into like why the way they approach it doesn't work because, or we will, maybe we will in messaging, but they're using it wrong. But then you look at who their audience is and it's almost always exclusively their peers or their competition. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I wonder why your message didn't go to the right place or you didn't get the you know, those conversations didn't carry on from there. So look at who you're connecting with on LinkedIn. Yes, connect with your peers. They're a great source of information, but that will only go so far if you don't look at building your network with the right people. And that's customers or not just the CEO. Look at who the CEO trusts, add them into your network and you open doors. So positioning and messaging. What the heck is going yeah. on? Why do they, why do so many companies miss the mark so bad? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, there's a few things here. So, um, let's see. Five was it five or six years ago? Um, I co-wrote a book called Valueology, which was all about how to build a value proposition. Mm-hmm. And what we discovered was that value is a very confused term. Okay. And what I mean by that is, we, we like to say value is in the eye of the beholder which basically just means what you value and will pay for is different than what I will value and pay for. 
So, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking of a super simple example, like buying a car, if you're a single person, you're going to buy a car that maybe is faster. You're not really going to care about all the safety features, et cetera. If you're a mom of two kids, you know, maybe the first question that you're going to ask and you're going to weed out the type of cars that you're buying is based on safety features. And so, you know, that's just a, a simple example, but it, but it, it's it's ap- it's applicable to B2B purchases because we like to, you know, go out there with this one size fits all message. Um or the mistake that I see a lot of companies make is that they go with the kitchen sink approach <laughs> where they don't want to declare one value, so we're going to talk about how it's convenient and it reduces costs and it helps grow your business and it helps your employees be productive. And so now, you know, you have four or five different messages that are competing and, and people can't wrap their arms around, well, what the heck does this thing actually do? What is the ultimate value? So the trick here is to find, you know, number one, what problem do we solve? And it has mm-hmm. to be a big enough problem that has like almost like an umbrella theme. So um, something that's, that's like, um, you know, who does this really well is um, political campaigns right? The the really good political campaigns pick one message and it's a big enough message that it can apply to all the different topics of the day. It could apply to the environment. It could apply to jobs in the economy. It can apply to the pandemic on and on and on. But it's something, it's a, it's a big enough topic, like, um, you know, it's an an aspirational topic that, that they could put this under. So that's one thing for, for messaging is what problem do we solve? And can we all agree on that? And, and, it, and ideally, can we distill it down to one word or phrase? Mm-hmm. And then your messaging can align to the different um, groups that you're trying to serve. So again, value is in the eye of the beholder. So how are you messaging to your CFO that you're trying mm-hmm. to sell versus the, the CIO technical decision maker? Um, and then the other piece around around value propositions, and I, the reason I'm talking about value propositions before messaging, not to confuse the two, is is messaging is built on the fact that you have a value proposition. Mm. So me- when you haven't done the work to define your value proposition, why should somebody? What problem do we solve? Why should somebody buy from us? Why should they buy from us versus a competitor? Right? Mm-hmm. If you haven't done the work to define that, it's very hard to then go put a messaging spin on it, which is, you know, turning into headline copy on your website. So you have to make sure that it's, it's, um, something that's relevant to those, to those customers. And it requires doing a little bit of legwork before you can kind of then put the creative storytelling spin on, on messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I have found, um, and we wrote a paper a, a few years ago on this that kind of spurred another book, which was called, um, lost in a sea of sameness. And it was based on, we took a, a Twitter and a um, website scrape. Of, we, we looked at three different industries, but I'll use telecom as an example. Yeah. We looked at the telecom industry. We scraped the top 40 global company websites and Twitter feeds, and we found that every single one of them was using the, the exact same words and phrases. They mm-hmm. all use a lot of um, jargon, and they all use a lot of um, statements that start with we. We do this and we do this. Um, versus what the benefit is for the for the end customer. And a lot of um, these claims were generic and there was no proof point. So, you know, when you, we are, we all have this like radar that goes up as a consumer where we see things like, we can help your business grow. We all tune that out. But we've seen it so many times now that it's like, we don't even believe it. 
it so it'd be very different and it stands out when you see we you know we help businesses grow by an average of 12 percent now all of a sudden you're like oh they went to the extra effort of measuring the return and they're measuring the value so now i believe that a little bit more yeah Um, but most companies don't do this legwork to to create um the value proposition and so what ends up happening is when they get to the messaging stage it's easier for them to just go copy and paste what their competitors are doing and saying. And so, especially in an industry like telecom or, or other, you know, financial services where you have people that are moving jobs and they're staying within the same industry and they just kind of move from one company to the next, mm-hmm. they're saying, Oh, you know what? My, my last company did this really well. Let me just pull out the sales deck that we used or, Oh, let's just go to my last company's, you know, web page or the product page. And we'll just kind of copy paste what they're, what they're saying. Cause they did a really good job. We'll just tweak a few words and we'll just use that. And so then you end up with this like murky sort of um, sameness everywhere, right? And nobody wants to really break from the herd. So it's it's safer to go the the route of of being the same. Are you familiar with David C. Baker? Me and Morgan joke about this all the time. Are you familiar with him? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) He's the the New York Times called him the expert's expert, but I loved it. Him and Blair (laughs) Enns have have a podcast called The Two Bobs. And they're great. They're so much fun. But uh, they were doing this one, I don't know if people were pitching them or exactly how it rolled out, but the, a bunch of marketers were doing their value proposition. Like, we strategically work with people. And I can't remember if it was Blair or David's like, if you weren't, what would you be? Animal. <laughs> you know, if you didn't help me grow my company, what would you be? And they just, they were playing the reverse. But it was funny, you looked at like 20 or 30 companies and you stacked them all together and... I think this is why it's so hard as a buyer right now to make a decision. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, they look so like the world, the ocean of sameness. It's such yeah. a good way of explaining it. Cause I don't mm-hmm. know the difference. There's people that market to me to go and sell me sales stack. And I still don't know what the difference is or who they like, why I would right. pick them versus the other. Cause they, they're identical. Yeah. And I think, and this gets into positioning a little bit. Um, but I think it's, it's, really interesting you know a lot of people when they we, they talk about differentiation and what makes us different most people their heads go to product our product has to do something different it has an extra feature it has this extra widget or whatever you know mm-hmm. we, we have some unique thing that makes our product better and special but there's other ways to differentiate besides just the product yeah. and one of them you know especially relevant to everybody listening here is differentiating on the marketing and sales approach so you don't even have to necessarily come up with something brand new. You're, we're not saying you have to come up with a brand new framework or introduce something new. It's just a matter of, do you show a little bit more attention? Did you do a little bit more research than everybody else who's reaching out? Do you understand their business better than any other any other person? Are you willing to spend 30 minutes whiteboarding something with them You know that other people might not be willing to do? So there's a, there's a lot around, um, the sales approach, um, in particular, the one that I, that I always love that I just saw a stat about only 16% of salespeople do this, but it's, it's one of the top most influential things that B2B buyers want, which is measuring ROI. Help me quantify the value of the solution that you're selling to me. Only 16% of sellers do this. So what a huge opportunity, right? That's a huge, I know, well, in this survey, (laughs) but it's a huge opportunity. That's how I look at it as well. I mean, the upside is huge. Not many people are doing this. If you're one of those that figures out 
um, how to do this. And there's there's companies now that have jobs, full jobs, value engineers, they call them, um, that are are specifically working with customers to, you know, create that magical formula that shows them the ROI. So it's interesting. This is hard because the compensation. So say I went took a, uh, you know, I worked at a fortune 500 company and I went there. I, I don't get compensated on doing that. And then there's no feedback loop for me to give it to marketing. It's actually frowned upon. So not only am I not compensated for it, it'll actually get me in trouble. And now they have customer success roles that would then take this on. And so they don't know what I promised in that sales meeting, yet they're mm-hmm. going to deliver on my promises. And unless that got captured in a CRM, which we all know usually doesn't. Right. So going back to the ocean of sameness, if you can't even prove value, how can you even leverage social proof? Because all you're getting is opinions. You're not actually getting facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think this goes back to kind of the relationship piece, right? That's Mm -hmm. what's the, what is the level of relationship? And I just saw some other post about, you know, all the data, we don't have a data shortage here, right? (laughs) We, We don't have a content shortage. We have the smart people who are spending the five extra minutes to interpret the data and to connect the dots and to find some type of meaningful insight that is that is different and potentially relevant to somebody that's what's really breaking through right now um you know and i i it's just to me it's it's obvious i just think there's not a lot of people putting in the extra effort so if i was to boil it down into one word it would be effort because um you know everybody wants to go fast and everybody thinks they want more 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 i gotta make you know i have to send 700 emails today and make 75 calls and i gotta send you know, 16 blog posts out today and more, 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 more. And, you know, what's happening with that, you know, this is always, of course, a debate, quantity over quality. It's when you're prioritizing quantity, what's going to suffer your quality. And people can Mm -hmm. feel that, by the way. I mean, we all know that you can tell if somebody spent any sort of time and energy, even like just look at your personal life. If somebody sends you a gift card that is emailed (laughs) <laughs> oh, shoot, I forgot about your birthday. Amazon.com, quick send e-gift certificate. That mm-hmm. feels very different than if you get a, a physical gift in the mail with a card that they wrote. Because they had yeah. to send it a week early, required a little bit more effort. But it feels different, right? It feels different as a recipient. And same thing for B2B buyers. It feels different when we get the 700th you know, cold call slash spam email or LinkedIn selling request, then, hey, I researched your business and here's what I know. And I see that we're connected to the same people. And I did a li- just a little bit more effort to before I before I spammed you. Um, so it just it feels more intentional and I think maybe more authentic. That's a great point. It's funny. I was just telling Morgan that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up. It It's all about fast, 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 speed to lead, you know, the fastest mm-hmm. sales cycles, fast, fast, fast. And I was looking at, uh, I was doing a social audit and I was trying to figure out who to follow. Cause I always like to, I like to do it about every quarter. Look at who, who's my new inspiration? Who should I be talking to? And I kind of just coined it community in the comments. How many people do the hard work of responding to people in the comments, especially mm-hmm. that have a following over 10,000 followers. 
Right. I don't have a hard number yet, but I would tell you that it is a very small number <laughs> so far. Because right. I, I spent an hour researching, just pulling lists. And I think I found three people out of a list of about 400 so far that are that I'll follow. And they all have the right keywords. They're all talking about the right things. But they're not putting in the hard work of being community driven. And so it's just no different than us on our, you know, everyone here in sales. You don't post content. You don't have a, you know, a filled out profile. It's just a digital resume. And then you're, you know, p connecting with somebody and then instantly pitch slapping them. And then mm -hmm. we wonder why it doesn't work. Yeah. And I think, Stacy, what you're saying is like, you just failed to show up in yeah. a way that's meaningful. Well, and we, I think we make a lot of assumptions that it's all about us, you know, and that it's, we all have a to-do list mm -hmm. and nobody cares about your to-do list. <laughs> and so it's, it's, but if you show up and all of a sudden you want to help me with my to-do list, now I'm like, oh, this person wants to help me with my to-do list. I got so much stuff going on. It's not, now I'm, they're trying to help me with my agenda, not the other way around. And so, you know, I mean, I'll give you another example. I just got an email from a, I get a lot of these emails from salespeople that are trying to sell me either lists, lists no. of, uh, you know, job titles. Yeah. Like, thank you. I have access to LinkedIn. I will, if I want a list, I'll just go there. <laughs> Did you read my profile? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, but they, they'll send a note. And then they'll send a follow-up and then they'll send a follow-up and then it, and then it starts turning nasty. Why haven't you responded? You know, like accusatory as if I'm like negligent in my email responses. <laughs> and so that doesn't feel good. No. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't owe you a response. You're reaching out to me cold. I don't have a need for your services. Why do I owe you a response? Because you're trying to hit a number for the month. That's on you. That's not sorry. I want to help you, but I don't have a need for your stuff. <laughs> so it's just, I think tone is really um, important. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where people are getting their training from these days, but I, I do feel like that's been lost a little bit. It's just the, the preparation required, <laughs> the, re the research, the preparation, the tone. I mean, it's basic. This is basic, right? And somehow we've lost all this in our fast food era of, I, I need don't it even now. know if it's that. I think it's a lot of people are reading books from the 80s and 90s or listening to people that their claim to fame was built in the 80s and 90s. And because that's what they know, that's what they keep doing. And then they're just adjusting it like you were kind of saying with the value prop. They're almost mm. just adjusting it to fit, calling it something new. And so you look at a lot of these, you know, fast food tactics, like you were saying, it just doesn't line up with the way people want to buy. And they don't care because it's not the way they want to sell. Everything is designed about what is the easiest way for us to sell you instead of mm -hmm. looking at how do you really want to buy? And I think this is the thing that gets me so excited for 2022 because sales managers are finally waking up and they're looking at how to manage performance in a way that is actually useful. And I think marketing is finally getting the highlight that they deserve to showcase how they can bring real value and that branding isn't just fluff. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I hope, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen the the transition happen, and I, I think the, the pandemic accelerated the need for 
um, a couple of things. One, marketing. I mean, there was, you know, some stat that says marketers became definitely more influential and in having a, a voice at the table um, during the during this time, because all of a sudden everybody is looking back to the marketing department to say, you're expected to have the pulse on the customer. What's going on? And so many, so that, that has then spurred customer research for marketers mm. to say, oh, we don't know. Shoot. I gotta, I gotta figure this out. I got a budget for this. So, <laughs> you know, that being said, it is a long, a long process <laughs> to change minds. <laughs> But yes, those are those are my those are my observations. I think around around what's what's happening with the world. I I'm I'm definitely seeing the same thing, and I think we may be kind of coming into the tail half here. I I see a lot of SDR BDRs sales development teams that you know whether they're fresh out of college or they're just green to sales but they don't have the relevant experience of doing what a CMO does, what a CTO does, or any of the senior leaders. And they get told to call upon them or email them or reach out on LinkedIn. And I know a lot of them message me because they feel helpless Mm -hmm. and quite frankly pissed off because it's going nowhere and it makes them feel bad because they, it's not a good conversation. Right. So if you're going in and you have this power hour, you have this time to invest in yourself, to go and get that knowledge, what would you do to invest that hour to go and arm yourself to be able to do that good work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good question. And and by the way, I hear this not only from SDRs and people that are, are new, but there is a, um, what we like to call the sophistication gap amongst sellers. Meaning there it's salespeople are, are, let's say, used to selling to a specific level in an organization. And all of a sudden, they're now expected to sell more into that company or to sell different services that maybe require relationships higher level up. Mm. And they're stuck sort of in this one layer of the organization and they don't feel comfortable. They're already in the organization and they don't feel comfortable having a more sophisticated conversation with, you know, people three or four levels up because yeah. you know they're used to working with a manager and all of a sudden I have to meet with the CIO you know that feels scary and and the manager by the way is is maybe not the best advocate to even introduce them to the CIO so I think there's a couple things um, that I would recommend one is around you know again we talked a lot about doing this research right in preparation and mm-hmm. and I think anybody sort of in that role joining associations and um and signing up for pu- and reading publications in every single industry has their own publication um so let's say you're selling to cios so cio magazine it's a it's a whole separate um thing just for cios so start start reading that and get familiar with the terms and get familiar with market trends and what's happening within within cios um number two would be reaching out to your own organization so do you have a CIO in your own organization that you could talk to and sit down with and, and start learning from or people on that team, right, to get a better sense for, um, I don't know why most companies don't do this. Frankly, it's, it's, it's baffling to me that we assume that they know how to sell, but they have access right there to a potential team of people that can help illuminate what their day-to-day is and what some of the potential problems are 
in the um, in their world. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, social media, of course, connecting with people on, on LinkedIn, not from coming from a sales position, but coming from, hey, I want to learn. I want to learn more about about your job. So it's it's potentially joining network community events. You know, there's online communities, there's networking associations, there's even LinkedIn, LinkedIn groups where, if I, you know, I join these and my goal is to like meet some people, and get it offline as quick as possible. Not to sit there and go back and forth for six months on on social me- media content or commenting because that's not that's not going to help you quickly learn. Um, the other the other piece of valuable research that I love is that I think is maybe under underutilized is um and this is this is specific. I think they do this for private companies maybe on on seeking alpha, but public companies, you know, has to, they have to produce an annual report. Many of them have very robust investor sections of their website. Mm. This is not the, this is not the public website, you know, where you're looking at what products are selling. This is the, Hey, we want you to come and invest with us and buy our stock. And you can find some really valuable nuggets in there that tell Mm -hmm. you exactly what they're investing in, exactly what the threats are that they see, exactly what the market opportunities are. And so if you can leverage that and show that you did some due diligence and that you read about this and you see that, oh, wow, I, and, you know, maybe it's digital transformation, the buzzword, you know, of the last two years, um, maybe they use that phrase, maybe they use digital velocity, you know, or some other, some other phrase. But if you can show that you've read that and that you understand what they're doing, then you can kind of throw that back into, into more of a meaningful um, interaction. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're saying, hey, I see that you guys are doing this from an IT standpoint. Did you know our company also does this? And here's what we're seeing from other companies. So that's that's a good way to. Um, I think that's what I'd recommend for for getting up to speed and to start to start that. I mean, because it is it's hard. I, I we used to call this um, kids against tanks where it's, you know, you have some junior if you're in a junior role and you're you're trying to either sell or convince or persuade somebody who's 20 or 30 years more experienced than you and maybe more authority maybe more aggressive right it doesn't matter if it's internal or external it's that's a very hard position to be in right so Mm -hmm. so you have to establish credibility and one way to establish credibility is to start you know, putting yourself in their shoes i under you know i'm reading the same things you're reading i am i'm understanding the same things you're understanding we're part of the same groups with the intention of getting knowledge, not with the intention of selling. Yeah, and do so that gathering and curation. Yes. Yep. I love that. And I it's definitely not done enough, but I, maybe it's because people are, they just don't know how to be social. Because I notice that a lot with like Slack communities when people are just hustling. You're like, mm-hmm. keep your shit at home. I don't want to hear you sell me something. Yeah. I just want to have a, have a conversation. But maybe they just don't know what to ask. Do you, do you have questions like go to? So I love that you take it offline too. Cause now you get to have like a, not a real conversation, but it it's more, it's faster. You dive in deeper. Like what we're doing right now, if we were just mm-hmm. trying to do this in the comments, but do you have go-to questions that you like to ask? Yeah. Well, one of, so this is the one that I am um, advise especially for folks that are in like a more junior role, because if you're reaching out to somebody that's in a senior role um, and you can reach out to people that are not part of your target, your target group, right. Just to, just to start getting some knowledge. But the, there's a, 
there's a way to phrase the question. It's, you know, what advice do you have? What advice do you have for somebody who's trying to learn more about the IT, you know, current IT industry? What advice do you have for somebody who's looking to, you know, learn more about marketing? And so that because when you ask a question that way, what advice do you have? People feel compelled to answer that question. They're like, oh, do I have advice? Yeah, I feel like I have something good to share. And so they're more likely to share with you because because you're asking, um, you know, for genuine advice. And I think this works just particularly well for students, right, or for people that are new to the field or new to the company because, mm-hmm. you know, we naturally want to help people kind of along. Um, so it might feel a little awkward, of course, if you've been – so I, there's another I'm, – I'm working with a couple of companies who their sales reps have been in these roles for – you know, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So at this stage, that's a little bit more awkward, right? If all of yeah. a sudden I'm like demonstrating, like trying to learn your business, well, we've been working together for 15 years. You don't know me by now? That's like, you know, asking your spouse, well, what's your what's your favorite color again? And what kind of food do you like? Right? Well, you haven't been listening. <laughs> <laughs> so... So that that one is a little bit more tricky, right? Because in in that situation, I would not ask obviously your your direct customers this. I would I would try to find peer peers or people that you can um, be introduced to. This is where networking events. I mean, every city has some type of networking um, hub community. Yeah. Yes, hub that it, it's like if you go with a purpose, I want to meet people in the IT industry. It's like. And you tell people, I'm looking to meet people in the IT industry. Boom. You'll get pointed directly. People will people will shepherd you through. When you are very specific and clear about who it is that you're trying to meet, people will help kind of shepherd you through. So I love that. I think. Nobody's ever brought that up and I love it. It's so simple. And so even for sales, okay, your meeting cancels on you. Hey, you don't have enough meetings. Don't always just go and use it for prospecting. Use it for research. Mm-hmm. Get in those Slack communities. Get in those LinkedIn groups. Go on your influencers that are your customers trust. Dive into the comments. Find those customers. See what they're asking. What gets them yeah. excited? What builds those long conversations? I love it. It's so easy. I, yes. Oh. And I, the other piece I would say, which is which I think is not done nearly enough, is um, read the content that your marketing team is writing and producing, <laughs> you know, sometimes we're all, we all get really busy. And if there's a lot of stuff floating around, we might not, um, digest it, but that can be another, another good thing to do is, is read it and to say, okay, that was interesting. Can you point me, how did you come up with those three things or where did you find those trends going back to mm-hmm. your, your marketing team to see if there's a little bit more, you know, peeling back the onion a little bit more to see, you know, can can I do a little bit of um, deeper digging? Because yeah. it's it just shows depth of knowledge, which is so lacking. And you know, that's yeah. another thing that B two B buyers say the number one thing they want is somebody to guide them and kind of lead them through the buying process. Mm-hmm. And and then number two is is um about about listening, listening to the customer. But, you know, you can't guide somebody through a buying process if you don't really understand what you're selling, right? And how people are buying yeah. and 
and what questions they might possibly have. So that's where I think, again, this go, let's go back to the um, marketing and sales alignment and collaboration come, come really handy because um, the best, the best relationships, you know, are two way. So instead of marketing, just pushing something saying, here, go show, sell this on, or share this on social media, you read it through and say, huh, that was interesting. I found this, where did you find this report or how come we're talking about this? How did you come up with this topic? Yeah. So, now you're armed for that next cold call where you can dive in even deeper. Now you're even more value from square one. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. And the work's already done. So you just get to piggyback. Yes. Yes, exactly. We're uh, coming um, up to that time and I don't want to go over on you. So what question do you have for me? Okay. So I, th I was interested in your research of um, people to follow on LinkedIn who who's one one person that you think is is doing good things in the b2b space nick bennett hands down alice okay he uh yeah. i've stopped looking at people with really good profiles and i started looking at people with really good community in the in their content in their comments because i find that not only are they open so i get to learn going back to what you said about like if you had that power hour what do you do well, I can go and comment on one of their posts, any of these people that I'm targeting, and they'll dive in with me and give me information. And I've learned so much in the past three months, purely just by comments, which then lead awesome. to meetings like you were you were alluding to mm -hmm. earlier. Um, Chris Walker's really good. He doesn't respond back as much just because he's got a really big following. Uh, oh, shoot, I closed it. Uh, Arthur Castillo from Chili Piper is really good and is growing like crazy. Okay. Uh, sales. I like, I still like Jason Bay and Justin Michaels. And I like that they're doing the work and then teaching and like leading by experience, not reading a book and curating the knowledge saying, you know, this is what I read. And mm -hmm. so they may not get it perfect every time, but they're pushing the envelope with every post and they're not afraid to admit when they made a mistake. I really respect yeah. that in the sales. I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, thank you. I wrote those down. It's a good, good people to, um, to check out. Yeah. And so now we're coming up to the end of the hour. So Stacy, how, where can people find you? How can they follow you? Yes. So LinkedIn, uh, Stacy with an E, EY Danheiser is my name. Um, I also run a community for uh, for aspiring B2B marketers um, and, and B2B marketing leaders. So these are for mm. our whole entire mission actually with the community is to help people that are in the marketing world gain more credibility and more confidence in what they're doing. And to your first question, take them out of that order taking role and more in the driver's seat because you know, marketing should be driving um, the business, not the other way around. So Worthy cause. Love it. Yes. So um, and connect with me on LinkedIn. You'll see it's, it's called Soar, Soar Marketing Society. So I will love check to it have out. you. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. All right. I, thank thank you, you for joining us for this show. Make sure you go and connect with Stacy and happy selling. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. 
But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.